take your Bibles and turn, to me, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24. You know that what we seek to do is to do things in a biblical way, to have a biblical model for the, the practices and the purpose that we have. And this that we are going to do today comes from a biblical pattern, a biblical model. Now, there are some things in Scripture that are not mandated. There are some things that are very clear that the church is to do this, that believers are to do this. But there are some other things that we can look at and we can say, you know what, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this is a way that we can be a blessing. This is a way that we can benefit. This is something we can do as a body of Christ. And I'm thankful that a number of years ago, uh, God put it into Pastor Tom's heart to have this chest of Joash offering, and it's based in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. There's a parallel passage in the book of Kings, but we'll look at this text this morning. And you know this story. This is the story of a young man by the name of Joash. Joash was about eight years old when he started being king, and um, that seems a little young to me. I don't know. He, that seems a little young to be the leader of a nation, but he had a godly counselor in the, by the name of Jehoiada, and this was the high priest. And Jehoiada saved Joash's life and, and set him on the throne and prepared him, taught him, trained him to be the king. And he taught him to love God. Now, later in Joash's life, he had some issues. But right now, he has a heart that is passionate for God. And I'm glad that you don't have to wait to be an adult to follow after God. Amen? Now, that was pitiful. I want to hear a good, I want our students to know you believe that they can seek after God. You don't have to wait till you're an adult to seek after God. Much better, much better. We'll still, we can build, that's, not, that's a place to build from right there. That's our, be, that's our baseline on our amens this morning, all right? But we can seek after God, and Joash sought after God. And we come to this text this morning, and he has something that God has put into his heart. In verse 4, it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you hasten the matter. Howbeit, the Levites hastened it not. Like many, um, <laughs> like many Christian workers, they weren't hastening to do it. They weren't quick to do it. Now, he gives very clear instructions. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to collect this. It's going to be to repair the house of God because the temple has been in disrepair for years. Before Joash was king, uh, there was an ungodly uh, member of his family by the name of Athaliah. She was the queen, and she destroyed the house of God. She was a worshiper of Baal. So the house of God was in disrepair. It had not been cared for. It had not been provided for. And so he has it in his mind, in his heart. He wants to invest in that house of God in the temple. And so he sends the priests out, but they don't do it. They're not anxious to get involved for whatever reason. The king called for Jehoiada, in verse 6, the chief, the high priest, and said to him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? Let me just take a moment to point out to you that phrase, tabernacle of witness. Now, he refers to the temple as the tabernacle of witness. And we usually distinguish between the tent of worship or the, the tent that Moses built as the tabernacle and the building, the, the stable 
um, immovable building that T Solomon built as the temple. But here he refers to it as a tabernacle of witness. What was it a witness of? Well, it was a witness, among other things, primarily of the covenant that God's people had with God. And the condition of that tabernacle of witness was a good indication of where their heart for God was. It was a good indication that they, if they had no concern for their worship, they had no concern for that covenant relationship with God, they were just going to let the tabernacle of witness go. They're going to let the temple go. But when it matters, when they're fervent about it, they will invest in it. They are, they are ready to see it repaired. And that's why in Joash, as hard as he is seeking after God, he understands this this tabernacle of witness. For, verse 7, for the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman had broken up the house of God. And also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment, they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. The parallel passage in Kings makes it even more precise that they didn't just set it at the house of God. They put it at the right of the altar. They set it at the altar so it could be accessible. Verse 9, and they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. You could say at the end of that verse, as we heard so well Wednesday night from Brother Buddy C, they filled it to the brim. How many of y'all were here Wednesday night and heard, yeah, that was a great sermon. How many of y'all been filling it to the brim ever since? I see one hand. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. You can still fill it to the brim. We want to we fill it to the brim this morning. We want to know half measures with God. I want you to see some truths in this. And what I love is the, the phrase in that last verse. Did you notice it? The people, all the people rejoiced. All the people rejoice. This is a joy-filled offering. You know, the great truth of Scripture is that grace takes the things that are unpleasant to this flesh and makes them joyful. What is duty to this flesh is a delight in the Spirit of God. The things that God commands of us and expects of us are not, well, we've got to do this. Like the old preacher said, it's the We've we got to get from the got-tos to the get-tos. I've got to do this. I've got to. Now I get to. And do you see the distinction between the, the attempt at an offering and the actual offering? Where the law cannot accomplish something, grace abounds in it. They've got the law of Moses that says bring this collection in. They've got the Levites that are supposed to be showing up on their doorstep saying, hey, give your collection. The king sent us here. You've got the command of the king. And all of that is inadequate to get the job done. You and I will find in our Christian life that when we do things simply out of a sense of duty and obligation, and hey, if that's the best motivation I've got, I should go ahead and do my duty. I should do what I've committed myself to doing. But I want to move beyond the got-tos, and I want to move over to the get-tos. I want to move to the place that I am not motivated by the works of this flesh and the motivations of this flesh and the law and the restrictions and the, the commands. I want to move over into the spirit where I am, I am motivated by the grace of God. The same grace of God that I have experienced that flows through me. This is what these people do. Instead of the 
Levites showing up and saying, you've got to give us this money. You now have the Spirit of God at work in their hearts, and they're saying, look, we invite you to come. This is a free will offering. This is for you to give joyously and generously and voluntarily. Those are marks of grace giving. The grace giving that says, I'm going to give in the same manner that God has given to me. God voluntarily gave Jesus Christ for us. We celebrate that at Christmas. God generously gave far more than we ever deserved. And God joyfully gave. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. That's the way we give, and that's the way they give in this passage. They come and they give voluntarily, and that's how we'll give this morning. We'll give voluntarily, not coerced, not required, not not demanded, but invited to give to God as he has given to us. And we can give generously, and many of you have given generously and continue to. And understand that every person's generosity is different. What seems like a large sum for one person may not be a large sum for another person. And I'm reminded of the widow that came in the time of Jesus and came into the temple to put her money in the offering and she put in two coins and Jesus said she's given more than all the rest of them. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. She's given out of her poverty. That's the, that's the distinction. And so where, where the law failed, where the law could not accomplish this offering that was needed, grace abounded. They, they filled it up. And it goes on to tell us that they didn't just fill up the chest. They took the chest and they emptied it. And like good Baptists, they put it back for some more. And they filled it up again. There was an abundance that came in. And it says they rejoiced. I want my offerings to God. Whether it's my money, whether it's my life, I want it to be, I want it to be an offering of joy. I want it to be a joy-filled offering. So what is it about the grace giving that gives us joy? Let me give you three quick thoughts from this passage this morning, this story, that I want you to see that is true for them and it is true for us. And it ought to make us to rejoice, to rejoice at the opportunity to give a birthday present to Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus was here in this service this morning physically? We know he's here in spirit. But if Jesus was here and we sent out an announcement ahead of time and said, you know what, Jesus is coming to Central Baptist Sunday. Number one, they probably wouldn't be able to seat everybody in here. But can you imagine the presents we would want? By the way, it's his birthday coming up and we want to bring him a nice present. Man, what would you bring, what would you give Jesus? But we would give him the absolute best we could possibly give. That's what we have the opportunity to do. And it is rejoicing to get to do so. What is the truth of this joy-filled offering where grace takes what seems unpleasant and makes it abundant, makes it joyful? Well, I want you to see, first of all, the joy of extended results. That when we give in this way, when we give this morning just as they give, it goes beyond. You see, that's what grace abounds. Grace goes beyond. Grace goes beyond the need. In the parallel passage in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings, they take the offering, and Joash says, look, we're just going to receive for the repairs of the building. This offering is so we can repair the temple. We're not going to worry about the vessels and the things used in in the function of worship. We're just going to focus on the building. But look down in verse 14 and notice what happens. 
After they've taken the money, they've received the money, they give it to the carpenters and the masons to repair the house of God, and the work is done, it's completed, and they set the house of God in order, and they strengthened it. When they had finished it, verse 14, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof from this money were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Not only are the temple repairs able to be done, they don't just meet the need through their generosity, they are able to go beyond. And that is one of the things that I love about the chest of Joash offering, this offering this morning. It enables us as a church. Our regular giving and tithes are things that help us to function and keep the lights on, and we're grateful for all of that. But this helps us to go beyond. This goes beyond the repair of the buildings. This goes beyond the building of buildings. This allows us to go beyond and extend to what God has called us to do. It allows us to reach to elsewhere. It allows us to invest in churches in our region and churches around our country through revival ministry, and it involves sending missionaries and investing in churches and some of the wonderful things we've been able to do in the past and look forward to doing this year. It allows us to get beyond the walls of our church. I'm grateful for what God does to help provide for us here. And some people seem to think, well, it's, it's more important to do one or the other. I've known churches that couldn't give to missions because they were so focused on, well, what if we have a need here? And then I've seen other churches that let their facilities and their buildings and their church run down because they said, well, we're sending to elsewhere. Let me tell you that the Great Commission is not either or, it is both and. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 does not have the word or, it has the word and. And he says, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is what an offering like this allows us to do, and that is the joy of it. It's not just for us to enjoy. It's not just for our benefit. It is for the benefit of the world. It is for the, the, the peace of our city. It is for the message of the gospel to go out. And this is this offering that they give, and they are filled with joy because when we focus only on ourselves, our joy is taken away. The very thing we think we're going to have. If I take care of me, I will be happy and I'll have joy. And we find that we're miserable. But when God allows us to begin to reach out to other needs and to expand and to extend beyond, that's when the joy comes. And that's why they're rejoicing. They come joyfully to bring their offering. They come with rejoicing. Why? Because it's not out of a sense of obligation. It's out of a sense of grace. The same grace that you and I have experienced in our lives because of Jesus Christ is the same grace that the person on the far side of the planet needs to hear about and the person on the other side of the street needs to hear about. And all those that are lost need to hear the message of the gospel and we get the opportunity, the extended results. Let me point out to you also, there's the joy of enduring returns. These investments that they made and what we will give to today do not simply last for our lifetime. These vessels that were created and this temple that was rebuilt was used for worship for their generation and for the next generation and for the next generation. And the tools and the bowls and the spoons and the things of worship that were created from this 
were for the next generation and the next. And then there came the time when King Nebuchadnezzar came. And they thought, this is the end of our city and everything's bad. And he takes all the gold and silver vessels and he carries them away to Babylon with the people. And they think this is terrible, but it's God divinely preserving those vessels. Because when the time comes, he puts them into his treasury. And when the time comes and Cyrus sends the people of Israel back to Jerusalem and back to build the temple, what does he do? He opens up the treasuries and he takes those vessels that instead of being melted down and spread all over the Middle East through coins, he takes them that have they've been preserved. What they saw as something terrible was God taking what had been given and preserving it for another generation. Don't ever think that just because things look bleak at a particular time that God is not at work. And what is happening in one generation is for the benefit of generations to come. And when we invest and when we give in this offering, what a joy to know that the power of it and the strength of it and the effect of it is not going to end when our life ends. That there will be, should Christ not come, should the rapture not take place for another generation or two or three or four or however long it might be, that there will still be a faithful witness through the lives that are impacted. Why are we investing in children's ministry? Why are we looking at a, at a children's building in the near future? And why are we investing in our students? Because we, want to, we know that through the giving of this offering and through our investment and giving of our lives, that the extent of that, that work and the extent of that sacrifice and the extent of that giving goes far beyond our lifetime. And when most of us are dead and gone, or all of us are dead and gone, there will still be those that are the beneficiaries of our sacrifice and our giving. Just like we sit here this morning, and many of us are here because of the faithful, the faithful generations that came before us, and they preached the gospel, and they shared the gospel, and they told someone, and they told someone, and they invested, and they gave, and they sacrificed, and we are able to enjoy today the benefits and the blessings of the generations gone before the extent, the enduring returns. And when the time came for Israel to be restored and King Cyrus sends them back, he opens up and he says, here, you take those back. Can you imagine the joy of those worshipers as they came to the temple, meager though it seemed compared to the one of Solomon, that they hold these same ones and maybe, maybe one of them has enough memory to re- remember the stories and they've heard the stories and they said, you know what, These vessels, I remember hearing about when they were first used. I remember hearing about when King Joash and his officers fashioned these utensils to be used for the glory of God. May there come a time when a generation looks back to us and says, I remember when this was dedicated. I remember when this happened because some faithful believers at Central Baptist Church invested in the work of the gospel. The joy of enduring returns But what I love the most is the joy of an eternal reality. You see, this world says get all you can get and hold on to it because this is all that there is. When you die, that's the end. All we have is this life. I have heard someone say that the only way that we exist after death is in the midst of those that we love. I want to tell you, that's that's a bummer for me. If the only way I'm going to exist after I'm gone is in the memories of those that I love, I've got some people I love that have got terrible memories. (laughs) And even those that do remember and love, 
a generation or two and you're gone. I'm glad that the minute I depart from this life, I'm present with the Lord. And that's why when Jesus was speaking, he said, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Why does it? There's something that's eternal. There's something that's beyond this life. And when I give in an offering, I can do so with joy because it is not just about the temporal. It's not just about the here and now. It's about eternity. It's about laying up treasure in heaven. It's about eternal rewards. It's about the fact that we serve an eternal God. Do you understand that when we give an offering, we are making testament, we are making witness to the eternal nature of God? That what matters isn't just in my lifetime. That the God who is the God of my grandfather is my God. And the God is my God will be the God of my grandson and his grandson and his grandson. He is an eternal God. And when we give, we're saying there's something more than just this life. There's something more than just the here and now. Society, you are wrong. World, you are wrong. Eternity matters. We don't just live for the here and now. We live for the eternal. And this offering is a reminder of that. We're reminded that we have eternal life, not just an eternal God, but eternal life. One of these days when I'm dead and gone, as D.L. Moody says, I'll be more alive then than I've ever been before. I'm glad that they lay me out in a casket and all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that goes on, as I know all of y'all will. You better. I don't believe in ghosts, but I will come back and haunt you if you don't. But when my life is over, I will be in the presence of God. I have eternal life, eternal rejoicing with Jesus to look forward to. And the blessings of what we do, that's why we can do it with rejoicing. Because this isn't just about this moment. This is about eternity. And Paul will say that it's about an eternal weight of glory. He says what we endure and suffer now is but a light thing. Have you ever thought about that? Paul, if you read what Paul suffered, it was no light matter. But he says it's a light thing compared to the eternal weight of glory, the eternal heaviness of glory. So what might be a sacrifice for me now as I give of my life to serve God is nothing compared to the glory that waits. And what I give in a sacrificial offering or what I give in sacrificial service or what I give through the gospel may seem like something heavy, but it's light compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. And so when we give offering, when we give of ourselves, when we give sacrificially, the amazing, wonderful grace of God takes that which is heavy and takes that which is temporal and takes that which is unpleasant to our flesh and abounds and transforms it into something that is glorious and something that is joyful. And with these people, we can come with rejoicing to give to God not to pay him back, but to honor the grace of God. 
the grace of God abounds where the law fails. It abounds beyond the need. It goes beyond to the need and says we can do even more. It goes beyond, it extends beyond my lifetime. It goes beyond when my existence will end. And it goes beyond this temporal reality to an eternal reality. Aren't you grateful? What a joy we have this morning. Not an obligation, not a duty, not a drudgery, but a joy to give to God. Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? In a moment, we're going to receive our chest offering, and I want to ask our preschool and hero central parents, if you will, to go and pick up your kids and bring them back with you. We want everyone to be present for this, and this will allow our workers to come over and participate in the chest offering. We'll give you a moment to slip out, but maybe this morning while we're waiting for them, allowing them the time to do that, maybe this morning you have prepared an offering to bring But I want to give you the opportunity to maybe come and kneel at the altar and say, God, beyond just giving you an offering, I want you to know you can have, you've got all of me. I'm the offering. We sing that chorus or that that old hymn sometimes, all to Jesus I surrender. I tell you that there are some people that have given up on their pocketbooks, but they're still holding on to everything else in their life, and they think they can buy God off. But the greatest offering is the one that flows from a surrendered heart. So as this morning, if you will, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to have just a verse of invitation. Maybe this morning you want to come. Maybe you just want to come and give God thanks and rejoice. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you have given me. Thank you for the grace and the blessing that I have received. I'm glad that grace transforms my duties into delight. That I get to serve God because it's a joy to serve Him. That I get to give to God because it's a joy to give to Him. That I get to serve my brothers and sisters in my community because it's a joy to do so. Grace changes everything. Aren't you glad for grace? Aren't you glad for... We still, we still do the same things. We still give. We still serve. We still give of our heart and our time and our energy and our strength and our, and yes, our finances. But we do it rejoicing. The king sent out the Levites and he says, you go collect. And year after year, year after year, nothing happened. But when the joy came, what a joy to be a part of something eternal. I can't do that and you can't do that, but God can. God's the one that takes the little that we bring, our five loaves and our two fish, that the world may sneer at and say, that's not going to be a whole lot. I remember sitting in a Sunday school class one time, and somebody put just a quarter in the offering plate, and I was so embarrassed for them to hear the Sunday school teacher laugh and say, wow, we'll build a building with that mocking them for what they gave may that never be our heart because you know what my God does my God takes quarters and multiplies them my God takes loaves and fish and feeds multitudes and I pray this morning that God will take whatever we're able to give and what he puts in our heart to give and he multiplies it beyond its inerrant and its monetary value to accomplish eternal things 
we in ourselves would never be able to do. That's the kind of God that we serve. Father, thank you. As we prepare to pass by as the people of Israel did and place our offerings in this chest, we pray that, Lord, you will take it. You will use it. And may we, as they did, may we come with rejoicing because we get to be a part of what you are doing. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name.